Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Uttang dhammang sankhang namasami So I'd just bring to mind again the teachings on Anapanasati um, as a model of how cultivation of mind, cultivation of freedom of citta takes place. And this model then one can take these elements of it and apply it to other situations or other themes and so there are, there are in the sutta there are f- notably these four what are called tetras which groups of four sets of instructions the first set of instruction refers to the bodily experience the second set of instructions refers to the experience of mental activation uh, emotional stimulation, psychological um, responsiveness. Sankara, as the mind is moving, um, figuring, planning, working, uh, enjoying, buzzing. You know, even, uh, quite, and in this particular phase, buzzing along quite pleasantly <laughs> in terms of happiness. So it's it's activated, it's charged, it's enjoying or moderating a, an atmosphere. It's called citta sankara, the psychological, emotional um, activation. Third tetrad refers to citta. Uh, we might say primary awareness or fundamental awareness, so it's somewhat different. It's that which gets activated, that which gets happy and sad, that which gets uh, goes forward and backward, that which changes its focus, that which changes its intentions, that which moves fast, moves slow, that which is sensitive, affected, trembling. Mm liable to be activated. Inheriting programs, Sankara programs, and is the, the need to be activated, the wish to find something, have something, be something, make something, go somewhere. Jitta, mm. mm. sensitive to this um, point of experience. The point of experience, or that which experiences. Mm. So this third tetrad refers to this. Uh, and with the encouragement to gladden, to be sensitive, to gladden, to steady, firm up, and liberate, free up. It's uh, jitta from activations past activations, programs, future activations, plans. Then getting, you know, I say it becomes more settled and knows itself, you might say. Fourth tetrad refers, this very, it's rather differently structured. It uses the constant refrain, anupasi. Anupasi means, it's, it's a compound word, anu, in the presence of, or with reference to, or seeing things in, and passi to see, so seeing things in a certain light, or with reference to a certain thing, or mm, through the lens of, you might say. So, the different mode of operation is associated with the op- operation of insight. 
So the other three are associated with the cultivation of steadying, uh, clearing, uh, enhancing, uh, healing, gladdening, mm. the heart, chitta, one's sensitivity, one's presence, one's effectiveness, mm. one's body. And the fourth one is is contemplating all that, any of that, through the lens of changeability, inconstancy, things. Everything that we touch, everything we sensitize to, has got a movement to it. It doesn't just mean something begins and ends. It means all manifestation. To be experienced is changing. If it doesn't change, you wouldn't notice it. It's only the subtle vibrancies, tingles, shifts that make it are able to register it. It's only the, the pulsing, the emotional resonances, and the physical resonances and the feelings that present it to us. We don't, the mind doesn't notice what doesn't change, what is, it, what is constant, it only notices the inconstant. Mm. Mm. So this is the first, second is the dispassion. Seeing things through the lens of dispassion, one is not so um, riveted by experience, so enamored of it, so disgusted by it, so wound up about it, so reactive to it, the fires of aversion, greed, and all kinds of subtle qualities that get us charged up, it's cooling. Ceasing, stopping, certain attitudes stop, certain psychological um, conditions stop, gaining, holding, fighting, resisting, craving, stop, Uh, jitta changes. It's program. Mm. And begins to what's called patinitsago, relinquish tendencies, the directions, the channels that uh, are about coming and going, being and not being, having and losing, holding, holding on, fighting with, resisting, and so on. And these are the, this web of reactions is what makes up the experience of self. And self is the experience, or of owning something, having something, even having the absence of something even. It's about assuming ownership of these aggregates, aggregated experience. It's about uh, controlling them, having control or authority over them. about um, locating uh, a self within these. It's about um, this is mine, that's not mine.
about independence. And one is an entirely self-generating um, independent unit. And when we consider these things, even thinking them through, even though the the instinct goes that way when you think them through, you think it's not the case, is it? You can't be independent. I mean, you need food and water, or else you're dependent on food, water, air. Right? We're dependent upon certain degrees of warmth. We're dependent upon language structures that we didn't create, didn't come out of me. We're dependent upon many whole complex web of social interactions and social functions that were not mine. I didn't create them, I inherited them. I got into them, I got inducted into them. So where's the independence? We're profoundly affected by our environment. We're environmental. And the environment, you know, you don't find any edge to that, any ending of that within this aggregated experience. Mm, Ownership. Mm. Things come and go. We loan things, we hire, we borrow things, borrow a body period of time it keeps shifting and changing we don't really own it we didn't create it thoughts don't really own them they come and go when they want we may think we create them but the language we didn't create they rise dependent on stimulation cannot say let me think something I've never thought of before it's always like I think, 95, 96% of what we think we've already thought before. <laughs> the other bit is something somebody else arises. We can't think what we haven't already conceived of. <laughs> Most of it was just the same <laughs> thoughts, slightly arranged slightly differently. We've, you've already said it all. Uh, and it's still going on. So, you know, realizing this uh, doesn't want to become more dispassionate towards it. And why not dispassionate cause it? Because it causes pain. We're not dispassionate towards pain. Uh, dissatisfaction, displeasure, emotional pangs. But you've probably already felt them many times. They also are in their nature, vibrant, panging, pulsing but subject to change and also dependent on where one's attention is. What attention uh, lingers on. And attention lingers on what one intends towards or associated with it. And we find that, for example, when we search for happiness, we experience a sense of searching happiness. We don't experience happiness because we haven't, don't have that. What we're experiencing is very directly searching for happiness. If you have happiness, you wouldn't be searching for it. So we're searching for happiness. We don't experience happiness, we experience searching. <laughs> right? And then we focus on searching as an experience. And how, is that comfortable or not? Does it? And you know, it could it could be something that gives results, but uh, you have to searching alone is is not adequate. Mm. 
There has to be a recognition of where it's possible to find that, where it's possible not to find it, not possible to find it, where the highest kind of happiness will be and the least, the briefest kinds of happiness will be. And this only arises when one is able to be dispassionate towards the whole program of searching for happiness and just wait a minute, how is searching going? How is the energy? Is it is it wise? Is it skillful? Is it just a desperation? Yeah. Is it tuning into something where there be a greater de- degree of happiness, comfort? And this is through calming. By and large, this is what um, people find is the most. Uh, Skill brings skill into the mind. Uh, we avoid violent stimulation, addictive, abusive, greedy, just me, mine. And we seek something that's environmentally more sustainable, gives rise to better skillful results in our behaviours, um, more directly, and has a calming effect. Stimulation actually is cooler, less stimulation. This is a huge shift. So, that requires the through sense of dispassion and tuning into the quality of a cooling, calming disposition. It's good to bear these things in mind, they're in some ways very obvious, but notice when one's mind gets hooked, there can be a desperation and a frustration and a complaining and a, and a, and a criticism and a judgment and locking up into passion around uncomfortable feeling, uncomfortable mental feeling. And so there's a heightened stimulation and a desperate kind of search. And the key, essentially, is relationship. This is the big thing that we sh- we come to terms with. Um, so, if we are anupasi, contemplating, standing in the presence of, witnessing, seeing things, we're actually, you know, standing, if you like, on the edge of experience or looking into the field of experience. And this means there's got to be cultivating the proper relationship, non-expectation, non-aversion. These and and subtler qualities. And then through this skillful relationship, one is calmer, more steady, more dispassionate, and certain psychologies built upon passion fade out. Passion is not just a blind greed, it's also uh, the firing up of despair, uh, frustration, you get the heat, you can feel yourself heating up, building up tension and pressure to get out, to not have this, to get away from that, to not become. And so this sense of being in the presence of, in a relationship with, that is cooler, dispassionate, non-controlling, non-owning, Mm. Mm. we begin to see instead of this apparent self we come into contact with certain factors this is the factor of restlessness or the factor of joy or the bodily factor or the mental factor elements, properties that could be we begin to, how do you relate to that one? What is wise to linger upon? What does one step back from? What does 
the mind know it has to bear with or be firm about. Cultivation of relationship. And chitta can do this much better than our thinking can. Thinking is always adopting certain strategies and models which are rather, at best they are, you know, good off-the-shelf ideas which are worth trying but uh, more thoroughly it's jitta's own sensitivity begins to sense you know how do I meet this or step back from this or be spacious with that or suffuse something in this calm give give warmth to this particular factor it's not even thinking it's just the relational touch rather like the touch that our fingers have when they know how how firmly to grip something so we don't drop it without breaking it how firmly to hold something it's that kind of body sensitivity the sensitivity of fingertips and maybe this is why um, so much of what we would normally and truly understand to be um, the release has to cap the true releasing psychologies or mental attitudes uh, but we begin with the body for certain reasons one the body is is uh, a con- a con- something we can constantly refer to the body is something that uh, doesn't have opinions it doesn't proliferate, it's just there. It, has a, it can have a calming rhythm to it, a steadying rhythm to it, breathing in, breathing out. Um, it also carries many of the uh, uh, psychological impressions in terms of its nervous energies. But it also teaches us mindfulness, which we've most people understand to be of paramount importance in the cultivation of meditation. And indeed it is a very important factor. But there's no such thing as kind of supermarket mindfulness. Well, there is. <laughs> but you have to find, if you get one of those, you have to fine-tune it. Yeah, you can get these mindfulness course or something like that which contains the basic ingredients, but you have to tailor it yourself and use your body to tailor it. My body teaches you how to be mindful because uh, uh, the body teaches you, the body is something that's constantly sensitive, changing, vibrant, responsive, reactive. It's not like a lump of wood. So to be mindful of that which is constantly sensitive, changing, reactive, it requires a particular kind of touch or hold. For this reason, I generally refer to mindfulness much more as like a hand or a loop rather than a pin. So sometimes people use this expression, pin one's mindfulness to this. I think of pinning something under my body, it doesn't give a very pleasant uh, impression. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we're just holding it. And the Buddha used the image of, of a quail to meditate. So if you hold a, a bird, a quail, if you hold it too firmly, you kill it, or you throttle it, or strangle it. If you hold it too loose, it flies away. So this holding is mindfulness. And so you can't really just switch it on. You've got to keep presently being with a bodily experience that's sensitive and responsive. And so the, and the whole body is of that nature, actually. And so you, you're adjusting your ability to bear something in mind, to frame up, to pay attention, if you like. Mm. mindfulness is a kind of attention which is non 
doesn't aim for anything. It just dispels the reactivity, it doesn't participate in reactivity. And even with this one is encouraged to set up mindfulness based upon careful attention, what is appropriate to be mindful of, where it's appropriate to place one's hand, what is it appropriate, what kind of bird should you hold? Wouldn't recommend you holding a you know, a jellyfish or a shark. <laughs> you know, if it's a little chicky, little chick, what would you hold it? So what's, what's appropriate? What's manageable? What can you actually get your hand around in a way that, may, that is manageable, comfortable? So we might choose just this very body, its warmth, its textures, its uprightness, its firmness, as just this. Mm-hmm. And as, we con- as we're with that, then uh, direct mindfulness of that in itself. And so we discard the vi- impressions that the visual perceptions might give rise to. We discard those as being, this is not what I'm focusing on. Focusing just on body, inner body. Body with regard to body, as it's said in the Satipatthana Sutta. And so this Anapana is said to bring to fruition these foundations of, of Sati, of mindfulness. And this is mindfulness of body is bringing that into fruition. And body, inner body. And as we handle that, we're going to start to notice ideas such as elbows, ears, teeth, so forth, they may not fade away. Basically because the elements of the body that don't shift very much, like your hair or your teeth, you don't notice them. What you do notice is the, is the ones that are changing, because that's what we pick up. We pick up this subtle changing pulsing quality, it could be, uh, you know, overall body tenor. It's, it's rhythms, it's pulses, and within that, uh, say, the, the rhythmic flow of breathing in, breathing out. Because this is changeable in constant, so it gives you something you've got to be constantly alert to, so you're not just dozing off in it or holding it rigid. It's like a living, squirming creature so holding that. And through this cultivation, a subtler body arises. And the Buddha says, of all the bodies, there is no body that is more excellent than the subtle body. Subtle body is primarily the uh, energy body or body of vitality that begins to become more apparent as we discard or no longer interested in um, bodies we create in our minds idea body, visual body, memory body, pain body. So this process of of mindfully selecting the suitable frame of reference is both wise and leads to greater sensitivity and greater receptivity and a greater sense of comfort. And the important thing then is to not just, oh, got this. But how did we get this? How did this come around? The degree which it comes around, one learns. That's the idea. Calm is great, but wisdom is much going to last much longer. How did we learn this? Through discarding what we imagined, uh, other preoccupations, even what we imagined about the object, just getting more attuned to it as it is in its own vibrant, changing nature. It's not the way I think it is. It's not the way I think it should be. It's not the way even I want it to be, necessarily. But I learn to relate to it. And just getting this message, learning this message, is very valuable in life in general. (laughs) Because that's the way it is. (laughs) It's not the way I want it to be. And it's not going to be the way I want it to be. So what can shift? 
wanting it to be can shift. And if I can find a quality of comfort through that skillful relationship, then the rest of it, I, it doesn't matter too much, you know, because <laughs> I'm getting a better result out of this skillful uh, relationship with something that's responsive, and bodies are responsive. Mm-hmm. So this is why we're finding in this uh, a, a kind of a, a domain whereby the fruits of one relationship can be enjoyed and, and it rewires the nervous system and require, you know, the bodily nervous system gets less jumpy, uh, becomes more uh, fully vitalized. And, uh, and it gives you something back. So this is a, just a very nice uh, uh, cultivation to, to develop over years, decades, and so on. Mm. This is an example. Mm. Because although, yeah, the body and what it can do and what can come out of that uh, can be very um, satisfying or illuminating, that we could get so much well-being just out of this. Uh, but still, it takes it takes time because this whole process, even of attuning to a body when so much of one's disposition is bound up with thoughts to get the mind to you know return to that is work of years Uh, and then to also all the repercussions of thought the memories the uh, anxieties the emotional patterns and habits how to you know be able to just shelve that uh, until you've got enough skill, until you've got enough resources to be able to both ameliorate the pressure of those mental difficulties, so they're just, yeah, a bit of a nuisance, but they're not driving you completely nuts, or with guilt or aversion, and they're just, you know, annoying, you know, somewhat annoying, disappointing, clamouring the back room, as it were. And they say, look, I just deal with, get my, get this right and this other stuff. I, you know, when I feel strong, when I feel rich enough, strong enough, I could perhaps learn to relate to that. Body will give you enormous advantage in that because it makes the heart happy. It makes the heart wisely cultivated. And in this cultivation, you use this as the, a model. You say, well, you know, can you cultivate them when you're walking? So you don't have an idea of walking. You're not walking to get anywhere. You're not walking to be super mindful of walking. You're not walking in some kind of off-the-shelf model of the best kind of walking. You're just walking the way, how does a body walk? In the most comfortable, full-on, complete way. And you, re- you begin to realize there's a certain s- flexion in the waist and the belly um, that causes the hips to swing when you walk and the shoulders to fluctuate. You get a lateral direction and makes walking a place where you feel, yeah, this itself is uh, in itself. It's, it's better than stressing and rushing and compression it's more open relaxing you pick up that sign you've learned to discard the idea deal with the reality and and let it settle and abide in that and be one who is happy to receive the benefits of it and this learning to receive things itself is a a training also because in our attitudes we may be not that good about receiving impressions. We tend to be more doers. Or people who feel that, you know, the best results come from our our actions rather than our relationships. And this can be a piece of history. 
and relationships have not been particularly fruitful or agreeable with other human beings or been void of uh, mutuality, respect, comfort. So one has sought one's happiness in essentially what I can do for myself. And uh, so in terms of my intelligence, fitness, and so forth, uh, and then the independent being. Well, this is certainly um, a feature in in uh, modern industrialized societies where the relational field is lessened in ter- so towards the individual performance. An emphasis on the individual important performance, judgment dependent on one's individual performance. So much so that even when we meditate, we're still looking for an individual performance. We don't. We wouldn't put it that way, but we don't necessarily understand it. But that's kind of what that saying. Those same programs are clicking in. Which is, how can I? How can I do this and get this and make this work? How come it keeps getting so? tight and tense. How come it keeps getting into these log jams? I'm trying the best I can. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the problem. <laughs> See, you know, you got it exactly. You're trying the best you can, therefore you're getting <laughs> stressful because you're trying the best you can. What? No, don't try the best you can. Just relate. Try to listen to how a body is in a friendly and compassionate and uh, open way. Learn from it. Be someone who's like a beginner. Uh, how did I get here? What's this about? Oh. Give up the program. Give up the goal. Give up the you know, the the progress chart or the... Mm. So it's very much descending into simplicity, openness and a certain humility. Because the independent self is problematic and conditioned. And it's not human nature. It's just not in line with nature at all. Nothing is independent. And uh, human beings are hugely non-independent. You know, we, we're born out of somebody else's body. Yeah. And it takes a lot of people to get us born. We're born into societies. We build societies and cooperatives. We cannot really function without them. We're... We're pathetic as independent creatures. We couldn't survive out in the snow for a night, probably. We need places that other people have built and shelter. We're not at all independent. So the independent self is really, what is this? And what's it bound with? Fear of being seen as inadequate by others. Trying to prove one's as good as others. Uh, this kind of stuff. Well, that's uh, that's not good stuff to be, you know, having there, is it? That's not good juice to be putting into the system. It may have been there because of the kind of performance um, psychologies and performance systems that we've been indoctrinated into to get ahead otherwise. It'd be a nuisance, a burden, a loser, inadequate. Experience the rejection or the disappointment of other people. Yeah, that's a big hit. Why is it a big hit? Why does it mean so much? Because we're not independent. Because we're so profoundly affected by others. So in many ways, you know, this particular piece has to be handled 
and sympathize with. It's not your fault, but it certainly is your responsibility. Because it will, uh, he'll be very, like most of these, this is a sankara, and these things have conviction to them, they have energy to them, they have power to them, they have velocity. They've been learned, acquired, programmed, built in, structured. They're not, they're quite deeply engraved. And they will take, and they will carry you on to the same, the same thing that you've been, that's been there. They cannot go beyond that. Now how we find this um, sense of non-independence in a society that very much in subtler ways perhaps encourages it. Well, on a gross level we talk about Kalyanamitta, on a gross level or the evident macro level. But also it means reflecting a lot on what we've learned from others, our relationships with others, our, you know, how we're enjoyed or hurt or concerned for others. Just not so much even, you know, the panging, but the sense of, you know, relating to. And can that be one that doesn't expect, uh, create standards, you know, she should be this high rather than this high, he should be like that rather than like that. And then maybe the result of doing that, one will perhaps this this particular quality may then be something that can return to how we see ourselves through this light of inconstancy, dispassion, relinquishment. It could be that one learnt to relate to one of the curiosity of being with a mind that is not making something out of it. The beauty of this insightful response is that we're not expecting anybody to be, including oneself, to be the, a model of perfection or accomplishment. Most of us will be dealing with problematic thought patterns or minds that tend to thinking and preoccupation and worrying and planning. And uh, the more that you, okay, that's what it does. It's it's kind of what it's supposed to do. It's got jammed in that model. It hasn't really got the point that it doesn't need to right now, but you can't. Yeah, since it's been running for 30 years or so, you're not going to switch off overnight, is it? 30, 40 years of that. And it's going to be up and running in two weeks' time. (laughs) So, (laughs) get used to it. And uh, uh, make it something that's happening in the back room. (laughs) Create more space around that. Uh, so the sense of just not going into the problematic, even with a problem-solving mind, but the problem-solving mind occurs when you don't make it a problem. <laughs> That's how you solve the problem, by not making it a problem. <laughs> it's just that's that's what one has to learn to accommodate and live with. And strangely enough, certainly in my, my own case, I found through trying to stop that meanness happening and these uh, curious uh, patterns and thought patterns and uh, memories and so forth, not really just making an issue out of it. It sort of fades. Fades. It's just the weather. And as less... What I do notice is less urge to go into it, less fear, less aversion, less conviction, less juice going into those things. Just, uh, and then it, it quietly can stop. It can stop not through aversion to it, but just because one's no longer that concerned about it.
Mm. This, you know, the camp, of course, this may not be the case for yourself, but sounds kind of harmful, but it works for me. Uh, and uh, the less one is really that bothered by it, the more one can give interest and attention to what is it that's always here? What is it that listens? What's the space through which these thoughts run? What's the house in which this room is built, instructed? The widening. And to chitta, sensitivity. And then we begin to cult, recognize also, oh, this, in this room, in this house, there's nothing that wishes to harm others, nothing that wishes to be deceitful, nothing that wishes to violate, or how beautiful. And one finds satisfaction. The more one finds satisfaction in the what has passed, what has not arisen, one finds a sense there's some constancy there. There's something subtle that we wouldn't perhaps notice unless one was tuning into chitta, to the ability to be sensitive and with wisdom notice what isn't there. Notice the space. Let yourself rest in it. Begin to play with the idea that maybe your repose would be more useful than your actions, or at least as useful as your actions. That your sense of repose and rest would be more beneficial for yourself and perhaps even for others because how many people do you find who remind you of that who give you that sense of restfulness and what you know when you find that isn't it something you you feel blessed by uh, and you open into because it's not activating and you don't have to make it You don't have to be anything in that. You don't have to prove or deny. You can just stop doing that. And stopping doing that, ceasing. Mm -hmm. So these very programs that heightened ownership, control, independence, the, the, the natural desire that they set up to be more and have more and be absolutely and really get and get to the results that the more that that finds a place of rest and senses this is subtler this is refined this is more steady shifting to that, those programs lose their impetus, their intensity, their fascination. And those programs are what we call self. So with the ceasing of those, it's ceasing of self. So this may reworded it, but this is in line with the themes that the, you come up time and time again in meditation, in Buddhist cultivation. But I would recommend and bear in mind, because these things can be how we interpret them, not self doesn't mean getting rid of yourself. It doesn't mean denying yourself. It means a relationship in which the programs that constitute your empirical sense of being who you are can fade with care, 
careful, steady, long-term cultivation on any level. (laughs) In terms of your actions, your relationships, your lifestyle, your meditation, your service. The more that you cultivate those, you can cultivate on any level. This is why this Dhamma, which can be most clearly and um, discerned and checked and tested at the micro level right in your where you breathe in and out and you check it down there it's this is resets everything to something where you can live in it and you know So this is how these cultivation, the Buddha says it brings great fruit, great benefit. The word is fruit. And if you've ever seen that, those terms, those terms path and fruit, maga and pala, they're quite, that's pretty literal, straight on translation. Maga definitely means path, nothing, never seen anything else but path. Pala always means fruit. Never means anything but fruit. How can a path, right, which they track in the woods, no mangoes grow on that. It doesn't give rise to fruit. It takes you to a place, doesn't it, a path. If you follow it, it takes you to a place. So how can a path take you to a fruit? (laughs) A path can take you to a place, but it doesn't take you to to a fruit, does it? Unless you go to a fruit store, I guess. <laughs> because the path, in walking the path, you start to learn through the stumbles and operating with the curves and the dips and the gulches and the traffic, all that. You begin to learn a relationship. A relationship is where the fruit that you didn't know was there begins to ripen out of that path. A slightly different set of cause and effects, we might say, than the way we would normally assume it. And fruit arises from how one walks, not from where one goes. Put it very crudely, simply. So that's a, a bit of an overview of, of samatha, vipassana, mindfulness and all that. Um, and so I hope some of that will be, uh, a few, few elements of that might be of benefit for you.